0: Last week, and we took a break from our, our journey through the Word together, and looked at the gospel. And I always love preaching Jesus. I love preaching the gospel. And this week, we're going to jump back into our track, uh, going through God's Word together. And, and we've been doing this reading plan. And if you haven't been doing this, I encourage you to go ahead and grab one on your way out. Even though we're almost halfway through the year. Uh, It's never too late to jump on board and do this reading plan with us. It's really special as the church goes through the Word together. And this week, uh, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. The week before Easter, we were introduced to this incredible biblical figure, this character named David, who was at that point a shepherd boy anointed as the next king of Israel. And then from that moment forward, God begins to increase David while decreasing King Saul. And we see David doing incredible things through God's help, like defeating Goliath the giant. We see him becoming a military leader under uh, King Saul. We see uh, King Saul becoming increasingly jealous of David to the point that he tries to kill him on several occasions. And, and David and Saul end up becoming these arch enemies Uh, And Saul just becomes increasingly paranoid and insanely jealous of David. And David, we see this heart of God that we talked about coming out in his life. He has a couple opportunities to kill King Saul himself, but he spares the king's life. Nevertheless, Saul tries his best to kill David. And we begin to see just this heart of God, like I said, uh, continually throughout his life most of the time. And eventually, though, King Saul and his sons and many others are killed in battle by the Philistines. And so David becomes the next king of Israel, finally. And the Bible says that David even, just again, his heart. When Saul and his family are killed, you would think as the next king, he'd be happy about this. The Bible says David mourned for Saul and for Saul's family. So war breaks out in Israel as some of Saul's family and those that are for David begin to fight about who's supposed to be king. All of that is settled and finally God's way works out and David is king over a united Israel. So then as the dust settles for now King David, he's very successful. He has uh, basically everything that that a man could ever want. Uh, All the chaos in his life, at least at this moment seems to, to kind of go away for, for a brief period. And he asked this question that, that many kings would ask when they're placed on a throne. The only difference in David was his motives were different than many other kings. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, again, we're going to see this godly heart by looking at the story of Mephibosheth. Say that with me, Mephibosheth. I know when you got up this morning to come to church, you were hoping that I would preach about Mephibosheth, right? (laughs) It's a wonderful Old Testament story if you're not familiar with it. Key lessons, several key lessons for us today. David asked a question, 2 Samuel chapter 9. The Bible says, David asked, Is there anyone remaining in the family of Saul that I can kill? No. That I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I'm your servant, Servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, Where is he? Ziba answered the king, You'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Maitre, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Maitre, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, I'm your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, "What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me?" Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, "I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You Your sons and your servants are to work the ground for him. And you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And his feet had been injured. We learn in Second Samuel chapter 4 that Mephibosheth was the son of the late Jonathan. And when Saul and Jonathan and many others along with them were killed in battle by the Philistines, Mephibosheth's nanny fearing that he too might be a a target of either the Philistines or now maybe even uh, David, the next king, tried to run away with Mephibosheth. And the Bible says that in her her hurry, she actually drops the poor kid and it, it injures his feet. And that led to this handicap that stayed with him for the rest of his life. And so when he was alive, Jonathan was David's very best friend, and and he vowed to support David. David vowed to support Jonathan, and as David settles into this normal life in the kingship, he remembers this covenant with Jonathan, and he remembers all the good that Jonathan had done for him, and the friendship, and the covenant that they had, and and all of that even transcended Jonathan's death to the point that David was now willing to show kindness, not just to some of Jonathan's family, but He says, anyone in King Saul's family. We learned four lessons this morning from David in this story. And the first is this, and we can't miss this in this story. And that's that today we need to love Mephibosheth. David has reached this point, like I said, where he has it all. You think now David's on the throne He's very successful. He has a united nation for the most part behind him at this point. He has a strong relationship with God. And on the other hand, Mephibosheth has nothing that he can offer King David. He's the grandson of, of David's former enemy. And, and the former and the now it could be a threat to his throne. Mephibosheth has nothing material to provide or to offer King David. He, he, he's been living and hiding since he was five years old, probably for at least 15 years at this point. And not only that, but think about Mephibosheth. David can't even enslave this man for labor or military service because he's handicapped. His mere existence normally, according to tradition and culture at this time, just by his birth, this man deserved death because his mere existence in the world presented a threat To David's throne. And the tradition was that when a new king came to power, it was pretty standard that the entire bloodline of the former king just gets wiped out. And that eliminates any potential threat for the new king's throne, for his ruling. And so according to culture, David should have been asking, who's left of Saul's house that I can enact vengeance on? Who's left of Saul's house that I can literally kill? But instead he asked, who's left? that I can show the kindness of my God to. It was someone who didn't deserve it, and it was someone who couldn't ever repay it, this Mephibosheth. And the word translated kindness, it's usually throughout Scripture translated as mercy and David's essentially asking who can i not give what they deserve but instead give them everything that they don't deserve and can never repay me for. And so the first lesson for us is a tough one and that's that we need to love the mephibosheths in our lives. The mephibosheths in our community. We're called and commanded to love the mephibosheths. I really practice saying that over and over this week to get it right. But we're called to love those who don't deserve our love. We're called to love those and minister to the needs of those, not based on why they're in need or or whose fault it is that they're in need, but based on the fact that they're a person that, that God loves and they have a need that we can meet. And we need to love those and bless those that can never do anything to repay us. And sometimes that's tough, church. But that's what we're called scripturally to do is to love those and minister to those who can never give us anything in return. And we never gain anything from it other than the fact that we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ by serving them and doing what's right. Now, here's, let's take this a step further. We need to love the Mephibosheths, not just because it's the right thing to do, but more importantly, because we are Mephibosheth. So what the first point kind of looks at this from David's point of view, but really this is a story about this boy, Mephibosheth. This man now represents all of us so well. He's an orphan. He's afraid. He's helpless because of his handicap. He's hopeless because he feels that death is always lurking around the corner waiting for him. He has no pathway to the throne, no, no way to have a better life. And without Christ, this is the story of our lives. There's no one that can help us. There's no way that we can ever get to heaven on mom and dad's credit or based on someone else's faith. There's not enough relationships in our lives that will ever satisfy us apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have to live in, in, in fear. If you're lost, man, if you're lost this morning, you should be afraid. Because... When you're apart from Christ, death has dire consequences for you. It means that if you die, that you're going to spend the rest of eternity in hell and condemnation. So you have to live in fear. You're helpless. You're hopeless because we're crippled. Not in our feet, but we're crippled by our sin and by our sinfulness. At the end of the day, we too, like Mephibosheth, in a sense, deserved. To die at the king's hand, we deserve death and the punishment that's waiting for us. Now, you say preacher, it's sounding pretty, pretty tough this morning. Maybe a little extreme. Here's what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says this about us. He says, and you, talking to the church, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He says, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath. Just like Mephibosheth was a child under Saul's line who was now, should have been under the king's wrath. Imagine living... As Mephibosheth, for the past 15 years, you've got nothing. You're in hiding. You can't care for yourself because you're you're just not capable. And you're literally waiting for the moment when the king shows up at your house or wherever it is that you're hiding to end your life because you are an enemy to the king. That's us when we don't have Jesus. We have nothing. We are nothing. We are an enemy to the king. But even though we're, we're crippled and sinful and, and, let's be honest, just pitiful, here's the, here's the good news. There's only grace waiting for us. Mephibosheth comes into David's court as he's summoned in, and, and he falls face down before the king. And the king says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. He says, I intend to show you Kindness. I intend to show you mercy. Not only that, but I intend to bestow upon you grace after grace. I'm giving you fields. I'm giving you servants. uh, And from this day forward, Mephibosheth, you get to come and eat at my table for the rest of your life. I'm not going to give you the death that you deserve, but I'm going to give you every blessing that you don't deserve. And so for the least, like I said, 15 years, Mephibosheth had been hiding and waiting, just hoping that somehow he wouldn't be found and killed but little did he know that the king never wanted to end his life the king didn't want to judge him the king didn't want to punish him for being who he was the king wanted to bring him in and pour grace upon this undeserving person you know I think so many people are afraid to get real with God a lot of folks are even afraid to have a conversation with God and talk to God and pray to God because we're afraid of what He might think or what He might say back to us. We're afraid to come to church and to open ourselves up to other believers or, or whatever the case may be. We're afraid to begin this relationship with God for, for feeling unworthy or feeling shameful or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we just feel, as Mephibosheth, I think, said rightly, I just feel like an old dead dog, no better than that. But like David, God wants to show us his kindness. And we have a very kind and merciful and gracious God this morning. And he wants to show us that mercy in the same passage in Ephesians. When Paul says, yeah, church, you all were dead in your sins and trespasses like a dead dog. He goes on to say this in the next couple of verses. He says, but God. So two best words in all of Scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. He says, you are saved by grace. It's not something you've earned. It's not something you deserve. It's just the grace of God. And when you come to Christ, I want you to understand. When you come to Christ in that mess that you are There's no condemnation waiting there for you. There's no punishment that needs to be enacted because Christ, as we talked about last week, took all of that upon himself on our cross. When you come to him, now there's only grace. And since there's nothing but grace, this is kind of the big point this morning. Just come to the table, man. Just do it. What are you waiting for? Don't be like Mephibosheth and, and hide in fear for all those years. Come and sit at the king's table. Can you imagine this poor young man <laughs> when it all finally sinks in and, and he realizes his life has been spared and he's, he's sitting around at King David's table maybe for the first time and, and he realizes, you know, I'm not here. They're not going to make fun of me. They're not gonna, this is not a joke. Uh, He's not bringing me to the table to to make a spectacle out of me and maybe even kill me at the table. He's here because the king is kind and merciful and gracious and the king wants him at his table. Just imagine the conversations that these two get to have sitting around the dinner table is David probably tells him about his father Jonathan that he loved so much that this boy really never got to know because his dad died when he was five years old. And David begins to tell him what a good man his father was, the good things that he did for King David. He gets to tell him what a warrior he was and probably even told him about his grandfather who tried to kill him a bunch of times and how he spared his life. And I'm sure this kid, this young man was just fascinated as he gets to sit at the king's table and eat with the king, just like the Bible says, one of the king's own children. Now Mephibosheth would go on. We don't hear a lot more about him, but we, we get a glimpse down the road and he would always be faithful and loyal to King David. And the Bible goes on to say that when David had to leave Jerusalem, that while he was gone, Mephibosheth didn't take care of himself. He never washed his clothes. He never shaved. He just waited for the king to come back. And when David comes back to Jerusalem, this crippled Mephibosheth goes down to the gate of the city to meet the king. And Ziba, the servant in this story, it's interesting. He had betrayed Mephibosheth, and David's trying to sort through all the details. And he basically says, all right, guys, Ziba, Mephibosheth, you got to take all the fields, all the servants, you got to just split it, divide it. And you know what Mephibosheth says? He says, just let him have it, king. In other words, he's saying, I'm not here for the stuff. I'm not here for the perks. I just want to be at my king's table, in my king's presence. I'm here for my king because of what Christ has done for us, and because God our Father sacrificed Him on our cross, we now get to come into the King's house and sit at the King's table just like we are with our past, with our infirmities, with our mistakes and our regrets. And we get to eat at the King's table just as one of the King's very own children. You got royal blood flowing through your veins this morning. There's an old song that says that, right? I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins. And We get a seat at the king's table. And I just want to leave you with this this morning. And that's that if there's been something that's holding you back from the joy of that blessing, whether it be fear or shame or just a lack of understanding, whatever it may be, bring all that with you this morning. Bring all of that and lay it down at the feet of Christ and just come to the table. Because here's the thing I want you to take away from this. When you come to God, again, there's nothing but grace and mercy in store for you. Stand together as we pray. Father, this morning we're presented with such a beautiful picture of your love for us. God, this simple story about a, a man that got more than he ever deserved. He got a place at the king's table to enjoy the king's presence. Father, that's us this morning. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your mercy. We certainly don't deserve heaven and a a place at your table in your presence. But God, you give us that and so much more. You take all of our filthy sin and and you you just wash it away as if it never happened. And not only that, but you you change our hearts. You make us more like Christ. Lord, this morning, if there's someone that, that they've not done this, they don't know what it means to have a relationship with you, to commune with you, to walk with you, talk with you. God, this morning I pray that they'd be saved like we sang about. That they'd give their heart to Jesus. And God, for the rest of us that's been saved, God, I pray that we just, we don't take for granted what our place at the King's table means. That we would just be filled with joy knowing that we get to live in your presence, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if that's you and, and you need a place at the King's table, why don't you come this morning and, and be saved? If you've been coming for a while and you feel like this is the church family you need to be a part of, why don't you come and make this your church home this morning? If you just want to come to the altar and pray as we sing a song of invitation, why don't you come as we sing? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at First underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.